Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. So today we're going to talk about probably one of the most controversial topics maybe in the world. It's a topic, as we talked about this past weekend, that most people do not want to talk about. <laughs> they would rather talk about death or marital problems or drug use and drug addiction than they would talk about this topic. And it's the topic of money. And uh, so I want to talk about a guy by the name of Paul Piff. He's a psychologist and professor and researcher at UC Irvine. And he had the, he did this research where he rigged games of Monopoly between two people. And what he did is he tried to figure out how would they, how would they behave? So one person was given two times the money at the start of the game. They were able to pass go. Every time they pass go, they got twice the amount of money and they got two rolls each turn as opposed to only one. So as you might imagine, as the games went on, the players with the advantage would inevitably dominate. But what was fascinating to Piff and the other researchers were that the players with the advantage would become more and more aggressive and demonstrative. They would move their piece across the board loudly. They would celebrate more. They'd be verbally rude. Here's some actual quotes from the players with the advantage as they talked to their, their competitors. They would say th things like, I've got money for everything. You're going to lose everything. I'm untouchable. I'm on top of the world, baby. Here's what's really fascinating. When players with the advantage were asked after the game why they thought they'd won, the overwhelming majority of them did not mention the advantage they had been given. And instead, they talked about their skill and how good they were at playing the game of Monopoly. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. This is my prerogative. I can do what I want to do. I made this money. You did Right, Ted? Now, Piff has conducted similar studies in a variety of ways, and the results are always the same. And here's what he wrote at, at his research notes. He said this, as a person's level of wealth increased, their feelings of compassion and empathy are at greater risk of decreasing, and their feelings of entitlement, of deservingness, and their ideology of self-interest increased. So if that's true for Monopoly games, I bet it's also true with real money. And this is the problem with money. And this is why Jesus in Luke 12 says, watch out, be on guard for all sorts of greed, not just because of what it does to the people around us, but what it does to us. It's an enslaving thing that turns us into people who are jerks, who are self-interested, who aren't generous, who don't care, who are isolated from the needs of the people around us. And this is one of the dark aspects of money and why it's so dangerous. Can't buy me love, love. And how it can even turn into our our God, um, our idol, where we put our hope and we put our trust in it to, to provide meaning and ultimate uh, meaning for our lives. So that's what we're going to talk about. It actually reminds me of uh, a fantastic bit by the comedian Louis C.K. about Monopoly. I'm just going to share this. It's about a minute long, minute and a half long, and it it to this day, is one of the funnier examples of, of, of what greed and Monopoly is kind of about and why I hate Monopoly, because it's not a fun game. Okay, hot take. Monopoly is a stupid game, and it's not fun. So, so there it is. I play Monopoly with my kids. That's really fun. My nine-year-old, she can totally do Monopoly. The six-year-old actually totally gets how the game works, but she's not emotionally developed enough 
to handle her inevitable loss <laughs> in every game of Monopoly. Because a Monopoly loss is dark. It's heavy. It's not like when you lose at, you know, Candyland. Oh, you got stuck in the fudgy thing, baby. Oh, well, you're in the gummy twirlios and you didn't get to win. But when she loses at Monopoly, I gotta look at her little face and I go, okay, so here's what's gonna happen now, okay? All your property, everything you have, all you know, the railroads, your houses, all your money, that's mine now. <laughs> Gotta give it all to me. No, give it to me, that's right. And no, no, you can't play anymore, see, because even though you're giving me all of that, it doesn't even touch how much you owe me. <laughs> doesn't even touch it, baby. You're going down hard, it's really bad. All you've been working for all day, I'm gonna take it now and I'm gonna use it to destroy your sister. I mean, I'm gonna ruin her. I'm gonna use it to destroy, destroy your sister. See, this is the point. This is, this is the problem. And, and, and what Louis C.K. is pointing out here is, uh, I think what Jesus is pointing out, that greed can ruin us, that the love of money uh, can actually ruin us. And so with that, we're, we've got, we're going to talk about that. We've got Jay Kim and Steve Clifford here to talk about money and talk about greed and talk about all those things, how it's a big deal and how you and I can get free from that and follow Jesus into freedom. So with that, let's just dive right in. Yeah, are you... Uh, hold on, Steve. Can you just go ahead and talk so I can check your levels? Yeah, I can talk. So nice to see Jay again twice in a day. Yeah. Twice in a day? Oh, what does that mean? Three times in three a day. Three times. What is, um, what is this? Our, what this does that is mean? Th our third time on Zoom together today, Steve and I. The gift of technology. Kidding, yeah. 90 seconds ago, I was in the hot tub. <laughs> you're saying 90 <laughs> seconds ago you were in a hot nine, tub? Nine, you're nine, saying You're yeah. saying that right now. Are you still yeah. wet? Are you still wearing bathing suits? I think you're still wet. <laughs> <laughs> well, 90 seconds ago, Jay and I were also in a hot tub. What? No, uh, we, no we weren't. Yeah. No, we weren't. There's no hot there, is there Is there a possibility for us to get a, a hot tub here, Jay, at, at the church? <laughs> That'd be pretty amazing. Huh? It would be. Maybe for baptisms? Take a baptistry and mm. put in real hot water. Sure. Yes. Hey, uh, guys, we're here uh, talking about a topic, uh, and, and I'm going uh, to posit a question to both of you. Do, okay. you think, do you think that money is the most uh, dangerous or destructive idol in the Bay Area or in the United States? Or is it, is it tied? Is, that, is, that, is this the center of... For a lot of Christians, the battle they're going to have to do with Jesus, or is it something else? I think the love and relentless pursuit of money can be one of those things. Can be or is? Is for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah not everyone, but many. But a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm talking about like the Bay. I certainly think that the reckless pursuit of and idolization of money and wealth is one of the most prominent idols in the Bay area. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'd say, um, 
pride that there's an the 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 thought that we can do it on our own we don't need god i'd say that's probably first and it, it's even yeah. actually behind a lot of the pursuit of money yeah yeah is an ego that says i've got you know I've got to achieve these kinds of things in order to prove my worth. But I, right. money is definitely um, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I've heard it said. Right, which and is so. you've heard it said. Which is the the love of money is always connected to the to other things. Because if you really think about it, just money, it's pieces of paper. Now it's mostly just ones and zeros on a digital screen. In and of itself, it has no intrinsic value if you had a wad of hundred dollar bills on a deserted island it's worthless maybe you could light it to make a fire you know to cook a fish that you caught in the, but it doesn't help you survive so it is yeah all those other things so i think one of the primary idols just to pull it apart further is the love and reckless pursuit of money because of what money seems to represent or promise or promise. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Well, uh, so I, I pulled this apart. There was a long form essay by Andy Crouch, who, you know, and yeah. appreciate it was called as for me and my house will resist mammon. And it was a long format. And I, I'm just saying this because I want, I'd love your thoughts on it. There's that moment where Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You have to serve one or the other. That's just the way it works. And he says, you can't serve both God. And then he uses this word. It's the word mammon. Mm. And they they kind of translate it as, as money or wealth or, um, in a lot of places. But a lot of commentators, this is what uh, Andy Crouch writes. Mammon's an Aramaic word, and the apostles who preserved Jesus' teachings generally translated them from Aramaic into the Greek that their readers knew best. They could have easily done so with mammon using words for money or wealth that have little negative connotation. Instead, they left this strange Aramaic word untranslated, suggesting it had particular significance. Mm. But by the first centuries of the Christian church, teachers and bishops had concluded that in using the name mammon, Jesus had in mind not just money, but a power, a demonic power. Mm. Money for Jesus was not a neutral tool, but something that was dangerous that could master a person every bit as completely as the true God could. Mm. Mammon is not simply money, but anti-God impetus that finds its power using money, which gets to what you're saying, Steve, that it's pride actually behind it mm. or individualism or what it is. As you interact with that idea, is because uh, it does seem like the system of greed has and I know we're getting kind of big and maybe philosophical, but it does feel like that is the water that we float in, that there is a system of greed, a system of self-reliance, a system of individualism, a system of using people, uh, of taking from people instead of serving people. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on, on, on the idea of mammon or money as, as like a, almost like a demonic force? Um, that can enslave people because it seems when Jesus says you have to serve one or the other, he's setting them up as masters, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's that edge to money as well. Right. So it's kind of, or am I, or how, how do you think about that? No, I, I, I think that um, when I think of mammon, I think of anti, anti God. Yeah. You know, I think of this, of a, a possessions of thoughts of philosophies 
of um, even religions um, and um, very strict um, ways of that those things all work against um, this wonderful command and it, it get back to it just quite simply is to love the Lord your God completely and to love those around you compassionately. And, and, and you, ca- you can't effectively do either of those, which are the great commandments. You can't do either of those if, you're, if your mind is constantly consumed with thoughts of maneuvering and purchasing and achieving and, and accumulating. Those are just anti-great commandment kind of things, yeah, it yeah. seems to me. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> I mean, I, I feel like I'm underdeveloped um, in terms of, you know, the spiritual world and the spiritual realm. I feel like I'm playing catch up. We did the series, The Unseen, and you and I both said that was one of our favorite series. It was one of my favorite because I just learned so much and um, discovered so much and feel mm-hmm. like I'm still scratching the surface. But where I am now is in increasing measure coming to the belief and the realization um, that there are, and this is going to, I don't say this to like freak people out or, you know, not have like the Hollywood version of this imagery, but truly biblically speaking, there are demonic forces at play in the world. You know, the powers of this dark world or this dark age as as Paul puts it. And, Anything that enslaves a human to anyone other than total, complete devotion to the God who has made that human, I think, is demonic. Mm, It's demonic, right? You know, so clearly money and, and power and pride that sort of motivates us toward a reckless pursuit of money and idolatry of money, I think it's demonic, And again, please, as you're listening, try really hard to eliminate the imagery in your mind, the horror movies that Hollywood, that's not, you know, it doesn't look like that. Um, It looks a lot more like the person who has so much and just cannot um, get to the place where he or she feels like this is more than enough. It's all a gift. And how do I give it away? That there's a, there's a demonic sort of thing at play you know, deepening our hunger for more. Yeah. And this is something that the two of you guys are going to talk about in the concluding teaching, mm-hmm. you know, this desire to, to need more and to call everything mine, you know, and um, which actually like robs us of deep contentment. You're just like constantly exhausted chasing more yeah. so you can have yeah. more and more that's, that's mine, you know? And uh, yeah, I just, I think it's demonic. Well, well can, l- l- for those who, who hear the word demonic and they might shut down, we talked about how really the primary weapon and tool of Satan is lies. Yes. So let's talk about some lies. Like that could be one way in. So I was reading a research paper that you found. It was in UCLA. And for more than a half a century, they've conducted massive annual surveys of incoming freshmen and incoming college students. It's called the uh, the American Freshman National Norms. Mm. And what they do as part of the survey is they ask students to rank 20 life goals on a scale from not important to me at all to absolutely essential. Mm. All right. So they have data going back 50 years. So in 1969, when this kind of started, um, or one of the first times it was published, 
85% of incoming freshmen said these were the top, uh, this is their top one, developing a meaningful philosophy of life. So finding out what life's about, right? 73% said raising a family, 69% said helping others who are in difficulty. 10 years later, this is before Reaganomics and the 80s and greed is good and all that. Uh, 74% they shifted. 74% said, I want to be an authority in my field. And then the other ones were raising a family and helping others, right about the same. Now, the number, and this is 2023, that where we have the latest data, the number one by far, 88%, is making money. Mm. So it has shifted. So there, there's a sense in which people are saying, in order to be happy, in order to have a meaningful life, that means, and it exclusively means, uh, making money. Mm. So there is a lie that is is uh, is infiltrating into people. Um, do you think that that's more or less in your experience pastorally? Is that more or less than other areas, or have you seen that? Like, let me let me ask it this way: How do you know, Steve and Jay, when you're working with a person that a person has too high a view of money, or that they're a little bit enslaved, or a lot of bit enslaved to money? How do you know? Like, how does it, how does it come out? Like if somebody was like, I love a diagnostic. Could you help me? Mm. Because one of the problems with greed is that it's almost invisible. Yeah. Like I almost always think I'm not greedy. It's rich people that are greedy. (laughs) And then what's rich people who have more than me. Right. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So one, one of the ways um, that it's comes out when, if you're dialoguing with me, I'm going to ask you things, um, Let's say you've come in and you and you're. It's usually centered around marriage, or something like that, and, or your family or your kids. And I will ask, try to get to the try to get to the point where I can say, what would you not give up to help this issue that you just came in to see me with? Hmm. You didn't come in to tell me about your greed. Nobody comes in to talk to me about their greed. <laughs> Nobody. Um, Keller has that. Nobody thinks they're greedy. Keller tells that story about in his 40 years of pastoral ministry, he's had thousands of people come to his office, confess hundreds, hundreds of, of different, different types sins. of sins. Right? He yeah. says not a single person has ever confessed greed. Hey, I'm, I'm pretty greedy. In Manhattan, New York. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, when you ask if you like, um, you can ask diagnostic questions to, to help them to express out loud their priorities. And if you can get them to actually do it unguarded, you find out almost immediately that God is not on the throne. Mm. God is not on the throne of their life. There has not been a a surrender, or if there has been, there's been a taking back of the throne, and there needs to be a resurrender. Wow. Um, And their their marriage is not as important. Their, Their faith is not as important. Their kids aren't even as important, although they will never say that out loud. But all you got to do is say, what is it that your kids need? And then he says, you, he says time and then said, well, can you get him time? And he says, no. I mean, you know, if you, well, then, uh, you, you know, there's, so there's ways to die to, to, to kind of probe into where they'll, where they'll actually express their, their priorities. Um, and then once they do, they realize, oh my gosh, the truth's out of the bag, mm. right? They've been living these lies, telling themselves they may be acting that way, but that's not what really is true. That's not really what's most important. But now the lie is out and uh, they have to face it. And and usually people don't want that kind of life. That's the amazing thing is that the lie is so powerful that we will give up what we dearly want 
to get what we don't really even care about. Hmm. That's so it's, good. I, I think that's strange. a profound thought that we, what you just said, Steve, about we try to take back the throne. Um, I think most of us think about the life of discipleship as uh, a very clean, neat, linear process. At some point we said yes to Jesus and we, we bent the knee to Jesus as King. We pledged our, our allegiance to him mm-hmm. and put our faith in him. And we forget that every day there are lies, demonic lies, the enemy of God who wages war against God and his kingdom that, um, essentially, you know, tempts us to take back the throne and a constant, you know, daily surrender. It's one of the reasons why I think worshiping with God's people regularly is so important. It's like you enter the throne room of God together. Not that you have to go to a, like a physical church building is holier than your living room. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, like the embodied presence of one another as you embody the story of your own rescue from sin and death into life, it's a way of surrendering the throne of your life again and again. I I feel that way every Sunday we sing and worship. And I talk to brothers and sisters who I know are going through struggles similar or unsimilar to mine. And it's a reminder like, Oh my gosh, we have a King who loves us and is for us. And all week I've been spending time trying to, take back the throne of my life. And I've, I've just now worshiped and sung and listened and learned my way to, you know, abdicating the throne of my life again, you know? And I think. So you're saying the practice of actually attending church services and rehearsing that actually kind of helps with that. Yeah, totally. And I actually think, you know, we're talking about money. I actually think we talked about it Sunday, but like, giving regular this is going to sound everyone listening is me like okay here comes the pastor with a coercive ploy to give to his church that's not what this is about at all i just think the practice the biblical practice of giving regularly living generously whatever generosity is for you um is a way to rehearse and reenact surrendering the throne to God. Like this money's not mine. It's yours. These yeah. gifts are not mine. They're yours. They've been given. They have not been, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we earn them through hard work, but really, you know, there's the Keller quote we said on Sundays, like when you were born, your strength, your energy, your brain, your mind, your skill, that's not yours. Like it was given to you as a gift and you worked hard to cultivate those things, but it's all a gift, you know? So anyways, yeah, I just, I thought that was such a, that's such a strong word. You know, we try to take back the throne. Yeah. And, and here's the, I don't think we really, we don't think discerningly what we're up against. We are up against a multi-billion dollar industry that is advertising and telling you every day, hundreds of times a day. You need more. You don't have enough, right? right? You're not enough. You don't have enough. You need more. You deserve more. Which is why and I refinanced to get Alexis, get just so we're clear, because <laughs> I saw the ad. 
Uh, that's really good. Hey, a uh, couple questions from folks, uh, and I'd love your insights on these. Um, somebody wrote in, uh, you had, basically you had three buckets, Jay. Uh, we talked about these three different types of, um, and you had people self-identify. Yeah. Um, and somebody wrote in, they said, hey, listen, I really identified with bucket number two, the uncertainty one. Yeah. And they said, uh, you had an intentional practice there of live and give thoughtfully, consistently, and selflessly. Uh, any hinters or pointers on how to do that really well. So I think they're saying, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I need to live and give thoughtfully, consistently yeah. and selflessly. Could you help me flush out what that might mean? Yeah. As we were working on this teaching together, Steve pointed out first Timothy. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That's the wrong verse. Uh, he pointed out, where's the verse? Oh, second Corinthians nine, six to eight. And it's more obscure. People don't typically go to this passage when there's a lot of other, you know, money passages, but I thought this was so good when Steve pointed it out, Paul writes, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. I mean, that makes all the sense in the world, logically, right? You plant just a few seeds, you're going to harvest just a few crops, you know? Um, And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. But then Paul says, now each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. And Dave, you've talked about this before. In the first century world, heart isn't just your feeling, fleeting feelings on Monday, I feel great. Heart, you know, cardia was the seed of, yes, our emotions, but also our thoughts, our intentions, our motivations. Yeah. So it's this- Or Shears calls it our control panel. The control panel, yeah, yeah, or your operating system. Yeah. So Paul is saying, each of you should give. Um, so first, he says, like, whatever you sow, you'll reap, right? Which is why I think giving selflessly matters. And sow selflessness, and um, you will reap, you know, in, in a way that- is you know the selfless god you know bringing blessing upon your life and this is not health and wealth i don't mean you're going to be rich i just mean the true riches of god's presence you you know yeah uh but then i i said thoughtfully and consistently because yeah each of you should give what you've decided in your heart the operating system of your life your thoughts intentions motivations think it through especially because you're uncertain you don't know if those stock options are going to be what they are now two years from now. Like, it's uncertain. I get it. You don't know if this startup's going to make it. You don't know if this school's going to close and you're going to be out of your teaching job. You know, you don't know if the small business, the coffee shop, or the construction company is going to get off the ground. You don't know. So, God knows that and He considers that. What well, He's not, God doesn't invite us to reckless, thoughtless, careless giving. I mean, in fact, financial stewardship is very biblical. So we've got to think it through and um, prayerfully think it through. But then it's not just giving thoughtfully and then giving consistently um, and and selflessly. It's or I'm sorry, it's not just giving selflessly and thoughtfully. It's giving consistently. So I think after you've prayerfully, thoughtfully considered, okay, God, what does faithfulness in my current situation look like? That's where trust comes in. That's where you have to relinquish the lie that money can offer you certainty and um, embrace the truth that only God is certain. So then your giving isn't dictated by um, how much necessarily, you know, how much you need month to month or whatever. It's dictated by the certainty that God is with you and for you and that God has called you as you've prayerfully engaged the process. Hey, this this is what faithfulness looks like in this season. For you to commit 
this much, you know, to your local church family and to this, you know, missionary, whatever it might be. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was sort of all laid out in that section of the yeah. teaching. Uh, but that's that's the reason why. Yeah. Steve, I got a question that's a follow-up of that one. I love the, the honesty of this one. It's about giving, because uh, you talked about giving and being generous, you know, and, and tithing and, and those kinds of things. Um, the person said, uh, I, I hear what you're saying about giving and how it can break the hold that money has on my life. I don't believe you. But I want to believe you. Could you tell me what giving has done in your own heart and life, how it's helped you in your discipleship with Jesus to help convince my stubborn heart so that I might do the same? So I, I love that. I don't believe you. <laughs> but yeah. they're saying, I want to believe you. Uh, Steve, yeah. can you talk about how generosity or giving has, what it's done in you and, and, and how it's um, forged you? Or people that you've pastored? No, I, I think that um, in our home, um, I've had two three three gigantic advantages um the first one was i had a um a wife who was who took tithing very seriously i wasn't raised in the church so when she and i got married i I had given my money to the church was the last thing i'd ever thought i'd do so it was not in my not even in my vocabulary i couldn't even express that idea but um she immediately began to to introduce that that concept to me and then um, I, the second advantage is uh, I have a wife who doesn't go out on, and spend a lot of money either. Um, and then my third advantage is I'm, I'm, I'm 66 years old and I have seen God show up when there was nothing. So we've have, seen we God's began, provision. We've now this is not this this kind of thought can be really misused because if your motive behind giving is so you can be blessed, mm. you're probably <laughs> not going to be blessed. I mean, God is smart enough to understand your motives and knows what's behind. But as Jay was talking about, when you think it through, and I don't think most people give it the amount of attention mentally. So each person decides in their heart, what they've decided, past tense, but they decided in their heart to give, then they ought to give it. So it's something that you do, not in reaction to this sermon, not in reaction to this afterward. This is something that you sit down, you wrestle with it, and then you see things happen like you have no money and you got two small kids and it looks like Christmas is going to come and go and they're going to miss it. And then suddenly somebody gives you money. You you have the, the story of Jay that, that Jay shared that um, he's looking at his his seminary bill and it's almost ten thousand dollars and it might as well be a million dollars. Right. In his, and and then he sees some woman come up and say, "I'd like to give you ten thousand dollars." Now this is not I, I'm not you don't do it so some woman will come up and give you ten thousand. Right. <laughs> you do it because God has blessed you in order to make you a generous person. And it, just like grace, and you're trusting forward. in God, not Mammon. You're yeah, yeah, it, you're, yeah, you're declaring allegiance. Yeah, you're saying I love you. You're, it, it's it's, um, and then you see God come through and some. But here's what I will tell you: you scratch and claw, and you try to provide for yourself in every way you can. God will never come through in that kind of situation. Why would He? Mm. You don't have, you don't, now I know that sounds pretty, I should probably say never, shouldn't say never about God. Who knows what he'll do? He can do whatever he wants. But in my experience, he doesn't usually give me money if I got plenty of it. (laughs) 
So, right. is there something about the scratching and clawing? You guys have seen this. Is there something about the scratching and clawing that does something internally in your soul also that you think kind of warps people? Is it like a self reliance or a lack of it's or something? Love. Oh. It's, it makes you inward focused. Oh, yeah. it's it. That's the demonic, the d- demonic lie behind it all is that God is asking us to become a person of grace and mercy and love. Yeah. And generosity. And when you're scratching and clawing, you're exactly opposite. Mm. Okay. Can I ask you, this is a question and it's from me. Mm. Um, so I was listening. I have a, a couple of folks in the cohort I'm in, in, uh, it's called soul care. And some of these guys, they work with, a, they work in the financial realm mm. and they work within the financial realm with, uh, donors often that have a lot of money. And so they, they're brilliant with money. And one of the things that they said is that transparency is sorely lacking in people's lives. Mm. And they said, there's gotta be somebody that you're completely honest with your, the resources that God's given you and you submit it to them and you go through and you pray with it. And I, I, I recoiled against that idea because it felt way too private to share with another person. And I realized is that I I've never been taught that I've never been said that. Have you seen that transparency? Like the idea of like, with, not with everybody and, and not just with your accountant, but with a trusted mentor or guide or friend or somebody saying, here's what God's given us or me, my wife, my, my family. Uh, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this? Am I being frugal? Am I being, is there places where I can be generous? What are your thoughts on this? Ha- have you ever heard of that as a, as a practice transparency as a practice? Have you ever heard of that? And, I mean, and Steve and Dana do that. I, I know that Steve and Dana embody that transparency with their finances yeah i don't know if you want to talk about that steve yeah we've we've we you know early on we went to the elder board and said you you obviously know what i make and you're also going to know what i'm doing with my money you're going to you're going to see how i'm spending it and uh more importantly you're going to see how much i'm giving away and um so that was something you did with your elder board that you trust yeah okay uh yeah wow and it's and the then there's also been a chief component in the last 10 years. Dan Perkins has kind of been that guy that kind of watches and reports it uh, to the elders. So um, it's actually, it um, it's not as hard as you think. <laughs> you, you just, but you just find somebody that you trust and you just, and uh, when you're, when you're, when you're spending 105% of what you make, it's pretty easy to diagnose, dude. Yeah. <laughs> This is not generous. This is not generosity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Cool. That, uh, that it's just something I never consider. I'd never heard of that. I think for most people, the idea of opening, I don't know their- that it's a, you know, you, you can do it just with your spouse. And I, I just, I, I think my, my own heart is, um, is wicked and easily deceived. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I actually believe it. I believe it when somebody tells me I need it. Mm. I, I believe it. I, I, they say you need a, you need this car, and I believe it. I think, yeah. What the heck? I need that car. I'd, I'd be doing my part for the world by having an electric car. I, that, this is this is good stewardship, and that's yeah. the. There's another one of the lies behind greed is that you can disguise it as, you know, being faithful and being a steward. Mm. So exposing, bringing it out into the light. Finances is one of the things that's really hard for us to talk to. Jay and I both mentioned this. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's was it most Americans would rather talk about 
religion or politics uh-huh. or marital strife, marital strife or death, yeah. for death yep. rather than money. It just seems too private or yeah. something. Yeah. Get somebody you trust and just say, you know what, just I I want your honest opinion. Here's my budget. Here's what I, here's what I spend on me. Here's what I spend on my bills. And here's what I spend. Here's what I give away. And uh, here's what I save. Just, you know, get somebody to give, take a look at it. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, that's good. Um, well, thank you guys. Uh, there's probably more to say. I know there's more to say. Um, yeah, uh, you and I'll say it next week. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to, we're going to look in uh, next week a little bit about contentment. That's our final yeah. week. And I think contentment and money and greed, kind there, there. It's a. We're actually going to oh, use the same verse. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about the the verse in and Luke where Jesus says, "Watch out, be on guard yep. uh, against every form of greed." Uh, Jesus is using really strong language to warn us yes. that this is like an. It's almost like it reminds me of when Peter's like, uh, "Satan's like a roaring lion." It's like there's a sense of danger, danger, danger. You know, this thing is prowling. You got to be careful. We're going to talk about that next week, Steve. Steve yeah. and I are. So we're going to continue on with contentment, and we're going to talk about just the twin ideas that um, we need more and that it's all mine and how, and, and, and the, and the same kind of thing is there, which is generosity. <laughs> generosity is the, the, uh, the antidote, the practice. I don't know what the right word is for both of those. Yeah. Freedom. Free. Yeah. Yeah. From, to, to get in there. From all that well, there's more to say, so we'll talk about it next week. So thank you, Steve. And thank you, Jay, for being with us. Yeah. Thanks. Enjoy the hot yeah. tub yeah, up there. Go ahead and go Steve. back, Steve. Hey. Go back in the hot tub. It'll be great. Steve's on zoom right now. He's at working <laughs> offsite this week. Working is a loose word. <laughs> it is. <laughs> did uh, question though? Cause I know, I know. Did you, did you uh, already go on the, on the golf course this morning? No, no, you have not. Oh, I thought you would for sure. You hit some balls though, right? Uh, yeah, I worked. I worked on uh, messages this morning. Oh, okay. No. I thought you were going to say I worked on my putting game. <laughs> <laughs> that's later. Oh, that's, that's later. after. Lunch. All right. Well, thank you guys, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Just want to say thanks to Steve Clifford and Jay Kim for stopping by. Uh, I know this is a difficult one, but we just do encourage you. Uh, there's life group questions in the app and also on our website. These will help your life group and you perhaps personally really do some deep work with God about your finances, about what it means for us to be generous, about what it means for us not to be controlled by by, by money, to not worship it, to be on guard and watch out for all forms of greed as Jesus has warned us. So we hope that that's helpful. Again, those uh, life group questions and individual questions are available both on the app and on the website. So check them out and we'll see you next week when we talk about contentment. And so with that, we'll see you next week.